Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Listen to Less. Today, we have a fun episode. I'm excited to talk about some of this stuff. I did a Q&A both on my TikTok and on my Instagram of just overall health questions, gut-related birth control hormones, all of that stuff. And so I've got those pulled up in front of me. And I'm just going to read the questions and kind of answer them for you. But first, I wanted to give you kind of a update on where my gut protocol is at, what's been going on in my life. This is kind of like, I look at it as somewhat of an open diary where I can be a little bit more vulnerable here than I would like to be on all of my other social medias. So also, just so you know, like this, I mean, this is part of the update. My acid reflux and burping has been so bad since I've started this protocol. If you hear me burp on this episode, I'm sorry. Like I'm going to try not to because that's like gross. Don't want to be burping in your ears. But it's like so bad that I might, I can't, I don't want to keep pausing the recording. You know, I'd have to pause it like 57 times in the 60 minutes I'm recording. Not really, but you get it. No, but that's like one of the symptoms that's gotten really bad is um, the burping and like acid reflux to the point where it's been making me really nauseous. And it's very interesting because, so I started this reverse, or I keep saying reverse diet. I'm not on a reverse diet, this elimination diet. I started this elimination diet three weeks ago. This is, I'm finishing up week three. And then I've been on my candida slash SIBO slash H. pylori supplements. This is week two of those. And since I've started the supplements that I changed over from the parasite supplements, my I've I've had a really hard time to be honest. Um, I've just felt really nauseous, and it comes in waves. Where, I mean, one day this week it was like all day I couldn't stop burping, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but when you just can't stop burping and it just constantly feels like there's a gas bubble in your throat it makes you feel sick to your stomach. And like by the end of the day, I wanted to throw up, but I I couldn't and I wasn't going to go throw up. That wasn't really going to solve anything, but it just made me feel so sick. And then I've also kind of felt a little bit dizzy and just like my, I've had such an intense brain fog to the point where like, I love my clients, but I'm forgetting their names. (laughs) When I'm like looking up their names in their chart, I'm like, who am I looking up right now? I can see her face, but I can't think of her name. And that's never happened to me before. So it was kind of freaking me out there for a second. And I was like, oh my God, I hope this is like not anything other than just this protocol. Um, Cause it's making, it's made showing up for work a little bit difficult the last two weeks and even just making, continuing to make content. Right. And that's how I keep my business alive is through social media and making content. Um, And that's how people follow me and find me and um, are able to hire me to help them, right? So if I can't show up and make content, then that puts a burden on my business. And I also have an assistant coach and that puts a burden on her livelihood too. So it's been kind of a mental battle of like, I, I've had to really kind of stay off social media and stop scrolling because I keep seeing other practitioners, other coaches, or even other just people in general that run businesses that have nothing to do with nutrition and health, but they run it through social medias. And I see them kicking ass and I'm like, <laughs> I just want to have the energy to do that. But that's the other thing. I've been so winded, so exhausted, and just so tired. I ended up 
turning off my alarm in the morning. Um, I haven't really had any early morning meetings. Everything has been kind of, I've kind of like shifted my day because I just can't get up. I'm sleeping like 10 to 12 hours at night and I don't even want to get up out of bed at that time. I'm not really like waking up naturally in the morning. And I mean, I am, but it's not until like nine o'clock, which previously I would kind of wake up around 637. And so I'm just really, I'm really going through the trenches here with this protocol. But the good news is that feeling symptoms like this, it's called die off, right? And so the good news is, is I'm doing this protocol because one, my H. pylori came back. Um, I treated it effectively once and then it came back. And I've never been fully able to eradicate the candida that I have that gives me yeast infections and things that I get every three months. And so I've done several protocols before, but I've never felt this crappy on a protocol. And to me, having the education and the background I have, I know that's kind of a good sign because that means I'm actually killing things off that previous protocols did not work on. And the different, what we're doing different, I'm using different herbs for the candida this time around than I did um, the previous few times. And I'm also rotating them. So the next three months, I think I kind of talked about this on last week's episode with uh, Fifi, but the next three months I'll be rotating herbs. And that is a much more effective way at getting rid of candida versus using the same herbs over a 12-week span because um, I don't want to say you want to confuse the candida. It's not really confusing them, but your body just kind of adapts to it. Um, And the candida wants to stay, right? Pathogens, when you have them overgrown in your gut, they want to stay. You're a really good host for them. So they want to stay as much as they can. So they're very resilient to the the antimicrobials or antibacterials that you're using, hence why there is resistance to antibiotics. The more you use an antibiotic, the more that your body builds up a tolerance to it and the less effective it becomes. So when treating candida, it's really beneficial to rotate herbs every like three to four weeks to make sure that you kill it all off. Side note, I kind of mentioned this. I've been really out of breath. (laughs) the last few weeks. Partially, I think partially because I've been so tired, I haven't really been in the gym. So my endurance level has kind of plummeted the last like two weeks, but also I'm just so tired that you may hear me huffing and puffing during this podcast. But we are here, we are doing it like two hours ago. I had a really nauseous bout where the room kind of felt like it was not spinning, but I felt like my head was kind of, I felt like I was standing on a boat almost and I got really, really sick to my stomach and I had to lay down, but I laid down. I was able to choke some food down and then within like maybe an hour, two hours, I feel a lot better right now. So it's kind of weird how it just hits me and sometimes it lasts all day and other times it's like super intense for 30, 40 minutes and then I'll feel completely normal an hour later after I lay down. It's very weird. It's very weird. It's kind of messed with my head emotionally too, because we're at the same time I'm going through all of this. I've also started in my somatic therapy with my therapist talking about um, some events, some traumatic events that happened to me at this point, almost 10 years ago that I never really talked about in therapy. I've never really gone through those things. Um, I've kind of just like shoved it down. Like I know how awful it was, but I never really 
talked about it with a professional. I, my mom always tried to ask me about it and I never wanted to, to talk about it, right? I just kind of shoved it down, which that's what we do with trauma and PTSD-like events. So we started going through some of those things because I've never gone through them before. And I feel like that's something that has caused me to change the way I am and be the way I am and caused me to be more of a people pleaser. And um, we learned that I have a lot of codependency habits. And when I think codependency, I actually think that I'm like, I think that means I'm dependent on someone else to make me happy, but that's not actually what it means according to both my therapist and this book she gave me to read. But essentially like through the trauma I went through back like 10 years ago, um, in the situation that I was in, it caused me to change the way that I speak and do things to basically like control someone else's actions as a protection mechanism for myself. So um, I never stopped doing that. And so we're kind of trying to work through that because I don't want to do that anymore, right? I, I don't want to be a people pleaser, um, which I've struggled with my whole life. I don't want to be anxious and constantly think about, oh, like, did, did I say something wrong? Like just the other day, um, on a Zoom call, a friend called me out for my resting bitch face. And while it was like funny and I was like, oh man, I've dealt with that my whole life. Like I had, I couldn't sleep that night because all I was thinking about was like, oh, did everybody else notice that my face looked that way? Did they think I was mad? Did they think that I was being mean? Did they think I'm a bad person? And it's like, holy crap, Leslie, like get a grip. I don't want to, I don't want to spiral like this all the time anymore. So kind of trauma dumping on you guys right now, but it's my podcast, so I'm allowed to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've been at. It's been tough both mentally, emotionally, and physically, like with not feeling good throughout this protocol, but we're trying to push through, trying to just do the best that I can have grace with myself. And something a friend told to me, told me the other day when I was kind of telling her how I was struggling, I was saying, I just want to get back to like summer of last year when I was so excited about all the wedding stuff. My business was thriving. I was posting on social media all the time because I had all of this energy and yada, yada, yada. And she goes, well, remember, you can never go back to the previous version of yourself. You're just always going to have to, um, like, I don't even remember exactly what she said, but something along the lines of you're never going to be able to be the person you were in the past. You're always going to be a new version of yourself and you just have to essentially like become a new version of yourself that you really, really like. And I loved that. And I was like, that's so true. I'm not going to be that old me. And I feel like a lot of my life, I've been trying to get back to an old version of myself that I liked more when realistically I need to just accept that's not my life anymore. That's not going to happen ever again. You know, I'm older, I'm in different, I'm married now, different life situation. Like my life is just never going to be what it was a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And so instead of trying to be a past version of myself, I need to accept where I'm at and make tweaks to where I am at now to make this version of myself a version I love just as much, if not more, right? So that's where I'm at. That's my little update for you on where my life has been. And I just want to say thank you so much to every single one of you that does listen to this podcast. I was telling Drew today, like looking at the statistics, and I know statistics aren't everything, but when I started this podcast, I genuinely didn't think I was going to have as many listeners as I, as I do just starting out. And it really just 
makes me appreciate every single one of you guys for being here, for listening, to for supporting me and in every aspect of like this journey and just being along for the ride. Like I love you guys all so much and thank you so much for taking an hour to two hours every week out of your day to listen to what I have to say. Like that is so cool. So thank you guys for being here so much. All right, enough about me, enough emotional stuff. Let's get into some of the questions this week. So like I said, there's a big variety of different questions. One second, I need some water. So I'm, I'm not going to go in any particular order. Depending on how long I talk, this might end up being two parts because there was a good amount of questions. If I can get to all of them today, I will. If you don't, if you submitted a question, you're listening to hear the answer to your question, you don't hear it, I will do a part two next week um, with the remaining questions, okay? So I'm going to try to get to them all, but I tend to talk a lot. So here we go. First question is, okay, let me take a deep breath. Hold on. All right. What to do about low estrogen, low progesterone, low cortisol, and low DHEA? Dot, 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 help. <laughs> okay. So when all hormones are low like this, first of all, your cortisol and your DHEA are both adrenal hormones. However, your DHEA metabolizes into testosterone and then testosterone metabolizes into then estrogen, right? Um, so if we have low DHEA and low cortisol, that's going to give insight as to why your estrogen's low, your progesterone's low. They didn't mention testosterone, but I'm assuming testosterone might be low too, unless this is a PCOS case and your PCO or your testosterone is actually high. But here, when I see this, instead of doing the things to necessarily like increase estrogen and progesterone and focusing on a sex hormone perspective of this, I would actually look at this as a stress case. And we need to support your adrenal glands first and foremost, because until we get that cortisol up and we get that DHEA up, your estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are probably going to remain low, right? So your sex hormones, they come crashing down first, but they come crashing down if there's other issues upstream, right? Like thyroid issues, adrenal issues, gut issues, things like that. So if we go upstream, I want to focus, I want you to focus on your adrenal glands. What does that mean? That means that your body, when these hormones are low, has become less resilient to stressors that you have on your plate. So there is this graph that we look at in FDN, and this is the mentorship that I'm in right now, functional diagnostic nutrition. Um, and it shows kind of like a timeline. So if you think of a timeline from start to finish, start being on the left, finish being on the right, right? It's, well, it's not really start to finish. You don't want to get to the finish line on this chart, this timeline. But what happens is on the left at the start line, this is where your cortisol is in a really optimal level, right? Cortisol looks good on blood, saliva, urine testing, wherever you do. It's in a perfect optimal place. And that's considered regulated, right? You're, you're regulated. You're in homeostasis. The body is doing what it needs to do to keep things in homeostasis, which means essentially just balance. So that's good. And then you kind of in the middle after you leave the start line, 
it spikes. Cortisol is high. So if you were to test it, then cortisol goes really high. And this is when this phase is kind of when, and it doesn't happen to everybody, but this is how you got to low cortisol. Your cortisol spikes and it goes really high. And this is a, this could happen for a year. This could happen for a decade before it actually goes low. And this is when a lot of people feel like they're thriving. I can attest to this. I felt like this for years where I felt like, I just, I just work really well under pressure. I work really well under stress. I do really good when like there's a timeline and a lot of pressure and like I just go, go, go when that happens and I do really well. I like my life is go, go, go. I'm getting up early. I'm working out. Then I'm working all day and then I'm coming home and I'm like doing chores and then I'm going to bed exhausted, but I'm fulfilled because I got so much done and my life is so busy, 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 but I'm accomplishing so much. It's a lot of stress, right? So then your cortisol actually goes high. And then what happens is you get into what we call the compensatory stage where you've been there in that high stage for so long that your body can no longer keep up with the demands of the stress that you're under. So then your your cortisol levels start to drop and then they actually look like they're optimal again because you're kind of on a bell curve, right? The start line was optimal and then your cortisol spiked. That's the peak of the bell curve. And then it comes back down to where it looks like it's normal. But the difference between here, the compensatory phase and the start line is you don't feel good. At the start line, you felt good. You had normal cortisol, but you felt really good. You had good energy, good hormone levels. Everything was good. Compensatory, technically your cortisol is normal but you feel like crap. You're tired, you're fatigued, your sex hormones are either low or high or wonky. You got thyroid issues, you got gut issues. Every, it just, you don't feel good. And then what happens from there is your cortisol keeps dropping and you get to low cortisol, which is considered the exhaustive phase. And this is where you're like, it's considered burnout, right? So what do you do to get that cortisol up? Because you have to get that cortisol and that DHEA up and help your adrenals to help the rest of your hormones. This is where it sounds silly and it's like, okay, well, I'm doing that stuff, but it's not working. And you have to do this stuff for a really long time before your body feels safe enough to start producing those hormones again. The biggest one, therapy, right? Like, what are you you talking about the stressors of your day? Are you getting that off your chest? Are you getting an outside opinion besides your boyfriend or your husband or your mom or your best friend, right? Are you talking to someone in a professional setting to be able to talk about the stressors that you've dealt with for probably years to get you to this point of low cortisol? That's number one. Number two, nervous system regulation. You should be working on this with your therapist, but also outside of therapy. What are you doing on a daily basis to help your nervous system go from that fight or flight sympathetic state of nervous system to a rest and digest parasympathetic state of your nervous system where your body feels safe. That's where we're meant to live is we're in that parasympathetic state where your body feels safe, rest and digest. We're meant to live there and only dip into fight or flight when necessary. Nowadays, we live in fight or flight and some of us never even dip into rest and digest. So nervous system regulation is essentially getting your body to live in that rest and digest and only dip into fight or flight if needed and come right back to rest and digest after you've assessed the threat to whatever it was, a fight with your boss, uh, someone, you know, spilling your coffee on yourself in your car, getting stuck in traffic, you know, like being late to something and then being able to come right back to that regulated state. So things I love to do that I've been doing myself is deep breathing. I have been literally when I start to feel myself just like 
like my thoughts racing. I start to feel not, even when I feel like physically sick, I put one hand on my chest. I put one hand on my belly button and I take deep belly breaths. I put my hands there, one to feel my heart, um, to bring myself into awareness of my body, but also to make sure that my, the hand on my belly is rising more than the hand on my chest. Cause you want to be doing belly breathing, not chest breathing. So doing that, I do a couple of those and just kind of re-regulate myself, recenter myself. Um, and exer- two exercises that my therapist gave me. One is, and this has been big on TikTok, is looking around the room. So it's called the five senses. So looking around the room and pointing out five and saying them out loud, five things you can see. I'm going to botch this. Five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can, what is the senses? I know it's one thing you can taste, two things you can smell, three things you can hear. And going down that order, I think that's it. Yeah, you could probably hear more than you could smell. Smell and hearing, you could, depending on where you're at, you could flip-flop those. But essentially, it's just um, like bringing awareness to your logical brain instead of giving all, letting your emotional brain run the show. The other one, because I told her, I was like, I've been doing that, but it's not really helping me. So the other thing, task she gave me to do is count down from 100 to zero by sevens. It's meant to be hard. And then once you get used to doing seven and you have those numbers memorized, switch it up to like six or four so that it's a difficult, it's a logical task that you have to do. And then it kind of takes the show and turns your logical brain on and gets you out of your emotional brain. So that's one that's helped me um, ner- or regulate my nervous system. The next thing that you should be doing is circadian rhythm resets. So what are you doing in the morning and at night to balance your circadian rhythm with the sun and the moon cycle, right? The light and the dark cycle. So when you get up, you should be opening your blinds right away, getting sunlight in your on your face. If you can, go outside and go on a walk, get some movement in first thing in the morning and get some sunlight on your face first thing in the morning. And then at night, when it starts getting dark outside, now that we switch the clocks, whatever way we switch them, daylight savings a couple weeks ago, it's much lighter, much later. So close your blinds around 7 p.m., block out that sunlight and then turn off your overhead lights and just use lamps put some actual quality blue light blockers on that have a yellow red or orange frame if they're clear not really doing much for you um, you should visibly not like be seeing either orange red or yellow um, to block those that blue light start wearing those around the house get off your phone start listening to like calming music um, things like that to kind of prep your body for bed doing, I would, I personally would eliminate caffeine because that's kind of like kicking a dead horse, right? You're already going to, you're going to be exhausted anyways with that low cortisol. Adding caffeine is like not really going to help you. Um, Eat enough food. You should not be dieting during this phase and more recovery. Next question is what to do about an enlarged thyroid. So when it comes to having an enlarged thyroid, you should definitely talk to your doctor. I'm sure that you already have if you know that your thyroid's enlarged, but iodine deficiency is actually one of the most common causes of enlarged thyroid or goiters. 
So the body needs iodine to produce thyroid hormone. Um, That's what like your thyroid hormone T1, T2, T3, T4, those numbers are talking about the amount of iodine molecules there are um, with the tyrosine. So, and that makes up T and then the number. So if you don't have enough iodine in your diet, the thyroid gets larger to try and capture all of the iodine it can so it can make the right amount of thyroid hormone. So once upon a time, we actually lived in an iodine deficient world, and that's why they started making iodized salt. And then somewhere along the line, we stopped iodizing as much of our food, and now it's becoming that we are lacking iodine in our diet once again. So something to definitely, iodine supplementation is very controversial of like how much do you need, how much is too much, because too much can also be an issue. So definitely talk to your doctor about iodine levels um, and if that's something that you should be supplementing with, either that's iodized salt or taking a straight up iodine supplement. Next question, why is an elimination diet important in your protocol right now? And this one kind of also goes into the next question, which is, I have SIBO. Please share all the information you know. Okay, so why am I doing an elimination diet? So I definitely have candida and H. pylori, which both of those can cause a lot of bloating. But in some of the testing we did, we're suspecting that there's a potential that I could have SIBO. I did not do a SIBO breath test. That is the only way you can actually confirm SIBO. But in some of the testing that I did, there were some markers that are commonly found along with SIBO. So we are treating me as if I also have SIBO. So when it comes to any type of protocol, whether it's candida, H. pylori, SIBO, other bacterial overgrowth, parasites, whatever it is, you want to remove certain things that feed the overgrowth, right? So on my elimination diet, the first six weeks, I'm not supposed to have garlic, onion, fermented foods, probiotics, or prebiotics because I don't want to feed the bacteria that is overgrown in my intestinal tract, right? So that's why I'm very hesitant to have people take probiotics when they don't know what's wrong with their gut. There's so many people online that just like take probiotics or they say, oh, you have bloating, take a probiotic. There's there's a lot of controversy with probiotics. We should have talked about that in last week's episode. But probiotics and prebiotic rich food is great if you don't already have a bacterial overgrowth. And certain probiotics can actually help eradicate certain types of bacterial overgrowths. But you need to know what type of bacterial bacterial overgrowth you're dealing with in order to use the right type of probiotic to kill that off. Are you following what I'm saying? So right now in my protocol, we don't want to add foods that are going to feed bacterias or feed candida, right? Candida is a yeast. I don't want to be eating things that are going to feed the yeast. So I'm not eating very much sugar. I'm I'm not removing all fruits. I removed some fruits, um, but I'm not removing all fruits, but I'm not drinking things like juices or things with processed sugar in them. And I'm not eating fermented foods um, or vinegars, things like that, that could potentially feed the candida. Now, this is very short term. It's just for the first 
part of the kill off phase. And then part two of why I'm doing this is to identify if there are certain food based triggers that I have because I was having so much bloating right now the bloat the bloating could bloating doesn't always come from the food you're eating, but the state of your digestive tract, it can come from certain foods and certain food sensitivities, but not always. And sometimes it can simply be like, it doesn't have anything to do with the food and it has everything to do with how you're eating your food. If you're eating too fast um, or in a really quick rushed state, or if you're super stressed, or it could have everything to do with the state of your digestive tract. So we're doing this elimination diet to remove all common inflammatory foods, foods that would feed bacteria and candida, and then also common foods that cause bloating in individuals with SIBO. And then after we get so far into the supplemental protocol where I'm killing things off, I am allowed to start reintroducing things one at a time and assessing, do I bloat or not? If I bloat, that food stays out. If I don't, I can keep it in. And then once we get to the end where I'm pretty much reintroduced everything that I normally eat, whatever was still left out will remain out until I am fully done with the supplemental protocol. And then we will reintroduce again, see if at that point I can um, reintroduce that food or if it needs to stay out a little bit longer. And if I still have a lot of flare-ups at the end, that mostly means that can indicate that I did not actually get rid of and eradicate the overgrowth to its entirety. So it's to not feed certain things, but also to kind of like be able to figure out what I'm sensitive to. And then going into the next question, I have SIBO, please share all the information you know. Kind of just to recap, you know, SIBO is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So you can have an overgrowth of bacteria or candida which is yeast, um, in your small intestine or in your large intestine. SIBO specifically causes tons of bloating and gas and distension, distension meaning your stomach is literally distended, like super, super bloated, that stays for a really long time, um, like hours and potentially doesn't go away until like a couple days later, and gas that you feel like you just, it's trapped in you. Um, those are, that's the big thing with SIBO. So some foods that are hard to digest with SIBO are FODMAPs. Maybe you've heard of a low FODMAP diet. FODMAPs are more likely to cause a reaction in people with SIBO. And what FODMAPs are, are fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. They're short chain carbohydrates that are poorly absorbed in the small intestine and prone to absorb water and ferment in the colon. Some examples of these types of foods are apples. You've got your garlic, your onion, uh, watermelon, sometimes avocado. There's a whole list of them. Those are just a few. You can easily Google like high FODMAP foods, foods and you'll get an entire list of them. And so you sometimes you want to remove those foods. I've also removed things like I'm not eating um, a lot of cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, um, cauliflower, because those tend to cause people with SIBO a lot of bloating. So they're out right now. And then we'll reintroduce them after I have been on these supplements for um, and these herbs to kind of kill off the bacteria for a certain amount of time. Um, but this type of diet should not be done 
extremely long-term, right? This is very restrictive and it's restricting a lot of your really healthy prebiotic and probiotic rich foods that actually feed the good bacteria in your gut. But sometimes the good bacteria can also be overgrown and cause issues when it is overgrown. So it's very important to only do this elimination style diet for a short period of time, right? And then start introducing these foods back into your diet. And if you have tried treating SIBO before, with like a holistic doctor or someone that you saw one time and they told you to do this diet, you did it. And then you still, you're, it's two years later and you still can't eat those foods without bloating. You probably did not eradicate the bacterial overgrowth. And the thing with these, these overgrowths is if you just go at it food alone, you're probably not going to eradicate it fully. You need to go at it food-based and with some herbs that can treat it because food alone just it's going to take a really long time and it can actually leave you with more deficiencies because your diet is so restrictive if you just try to do a restrictive diet like this forever if that makes sense so the goal is to eventually be able to have these foods again um, and reintroduce them after an herbal protocol has been done okay next question Moving on to something called gastritis, how to get rid of gastritis. So gastritis is an irritation of the stomach lining. This can feel like heartburn. This can feel like burping, kind of like I was telling you earlier, nausea. Um, it can be like heartburn can actually feel, it actually feels like a pain in your chest. Most people don't realize it's heartburn and they think that they're like having a heart attack um, or having issues. I know I'll, I'm getting heartburn because I will have a pain like in my sternum area and it's kind of sharp. It's like a sharp pain. And I'll be like, oh my God, what's happening to my chest? And then within maybe 20 minutes, I'll have a ton of burps. And then those burps relieve that that sharp pain and that's heartburn, right? So um, gastritis could be caused by things like H. pylori, which is bacterial overgrowth. That's what I'm trying to get rid of right now. So I do have a level of gastritis, certain things like if I were to, no one should be doing this and I don't do this often, but if I were to have coffee on an empty stomach, I would want to vomit because my stomach will start to hurt so bad and I will feel like I want to throw up and it makes me feel extremely nauseous because adding more acidic foods things like coffee to an irritated stomach lining just makes it worse, right? So H. pylori can cause it. And then also NSAIDs. So using NSAID medication, um, what does NSAID stand for? Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So things, Tylenol is not an NSAID, but things like ibuprofen, I think Advil is one. Uh, I think Motrin is one. I know for sure ibuprofen is and Tylenol is not, but double check me on those other ones. So using too much NSAIDs and using those all of the time, um, NSAIDs and H. pylori are the two leading causes of stomach ulcers and gastritis. So those two things. So what should you do if you have gastritis and how to get rid of it? Number one is while you have it, you should be avoiding foods that can further cause irritation. Things like acidic foods like tomatoes, carbonated beverages, stop drinking carbonated beverages if you have gastritis, coffee, especially on an empty stomach. Um, I notice if I do drink coffee, I don't really like a lot of sweetness and cream in my coffee, 
But if I have a more black coffee, it's worse than if I load it up with cream and have more of a latte. I won't experience it as bad with a latte because I have that like almond milk in there to kind of soothe and break up the acidity. But if I have very little almond milk in there, then it flares it really bad. Um, so I've been trying to switch to matcha lately because of that. Pickled foods, your like vinegars sometimes can flare it. Um, so those are things you should definitely be avoiding. Some like spicy things, um, if those kind of flare it. Sometimes raw onions can flare it. Um, and I've even heard some people, this is like my parents I'm referring to, green peppers flare theirs. So they can never have green peppers. What you should be doing to then help it is having a ton of anti-inflammatory foods, not anti-inflammatory over-the-counter medicine, but foods like ginger, making homemade. I love making homemade ginger shots. And what I do is I just blend the whole, I get a whole chunk of ginger, blend it in my Ninja, and then put it in this um, like sealed bottle in the fridge. And then I take like a two ounce shot of that when I'm feeling either first thing in the morning or when I'm feeling really nauseous, I'll just take a two ounce shot of ginger. And usually I feel better after I do that. Two ounces of aloe vera juice. I like the Lily of the Desert Inner Filet Preservative Free brand. I would not suggest there's a lot of aloe vera juices at the store that have a ton of added sugar in them. Don't drink those. You need the aloe vera juice that doesn't have a bunch of added sugar, okay? Zinc carnosine specifically. This is different than just like your general zinc, um, and that is a supplement. Um, mint tea. Mint tea is really good. Licorice root tea and um, bone broth, warm bone broth are all really soothing things. I would do this for like six weeks where you're consuming one, I would say at least three of the things I just mentioned, if not all of them on a daily basis and avoiding those NSAIDs and the irritation foods for at least six weeks to kind of heal up that gastritis. And if it's not going away, I would get checked for H. pylori. All right. So this next topic I'm super excited to talk about because most people don't understand this topic. The next topic is caffeine and caffeine dependency versus natural energy. So this is such a cool question because literally nobody understands this. So caffeine actually does not give you energy, right? Caffeine blocks a neurotransmitter that makes you feel sleepy. So we have two neurotransmitters in our brain. We have one called orexin. This one gives us energy, makes us feel awake. The other one is called adenosine. This one makes us feel more sleepy and more tired, okay? So remember the body is always trying to stay in homeostasis, which is balance, right? So we have an even balance of these neurotransmitters, orexin and adenosine in our body. Well, when we drink caffeine, caffeine doesn't have any components in it that actually like give you energy. Caffeine simply blocks the adenosine receptors in your brain. So, excuse me, I'm burping that H. pylori. Okay, so you've got an even, say, for simple math, you have five orexin receptors and you have five adenosine receptors. Then you drink caffeine 
caffeine is going to block. I'm totally making these numbers up, but just for simplicity to understand it, caffeine is then going to block three of your adenosine receptors. Okay. So then you are left with five orexin energy boosting neurotransmitters, neurotransmitter receptors, and then you have two adenosine receptors. Well, so then that's why you feel a peak in energy, right? Well, your body likes homeostasis. Your body doesn't like this imbalance of five to two. So what your body does is it starts opening up new adenosine receptors to try to get back to that to that five. So it's it's missing three. So it's going to open three. So then you have five and five left. But remember, there was three that were blocked. So then the caffeine wears off. So then those those three that were blocked open up two. So then you're left with five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> you're left with eight adenosine receptors and only five orexin receptors. So then you actually feel more tired and you get that midday crash because you had your coffee in the morning. And then by the time it wears off, you feel and you feel really sleepy and like you're having that midday crash, right? So then your knee-jerk reaction is, oh, I need, I need an afternoon caffeine. I need more caffeine. So then you go have caffeine and you've you're blocking a few more receptors and your body opens up even more to try to stay in balance. And then when that wears off, you feel even more groggy and super tired. Okay. You get the gist. Like I said, I totally made up those numbers. I don't know the actual numbers or math of how much caffeine blocks how many receptors or how many your body creates, but that's the general gist of what is going on in your body is caffeine is simply blocking a receptor site to adenosine, leaving you feeling like you have more energy because you have more orexin in your body than you do adenosine at that given time until the caffeine wears off. And then you start to feel dependent on it because your body's trying to open up more receptors to have that balance. So when the caffeine wears off, you have more adenosine receptors than you do orexin receptors and you feel more sleepy because adenosine makes us feel more sleepy. Okay. And then the other reason this causes dependency is because think back to the very first time you had caffeine. Okay. So if you think of, you've got, I'm looking, how do I describe this? You've got a line in the middle of you're, you've got a you've got a piece of paper, okay? If you draw a line, horizontal line in the middle of that paper, this is your baseline of energy before you ever had caffeine, okay? The bottom of the paper is when you're sleepy and tired, and the top of the paper is after you've had a sugar rush as a kid, okay? So you're in the middle. That's your baseline of energy. The more that you have caffeine, you and this whole receptor thing starts to happen, right? You, so the first time you had caffeine, your quote unquote energy levels peaked above baseline, right? So they went above that. But then this whole neurotransmitter thing starts happening. You have more and more caffeine. That baseline starts to drop and drop and drop. So then now, after you've been drinking caffeine for 10 years, that caffeine you have in the morning, that spike in energy you get is actually taking you up to your previous baseline to before you ever had caffeine. So you're no longer at the middle of the page. Your line is at the bottom of the page and the spike in quote unquote energy you get gives you a little bit of time where maybe for an hour or two, your energy level is back at that original baseline pre-caffeine and then it comes crashing back down to the bottom of the page. 
And that's why people start to feel dependent on it. And that's why people start to get used to it. And they feel like, oh, coffee doesn't affect me anymore. I could go to sleep after I drink coffee. Um, I just, I don't feel any energy from it. I'd feel no different. There's no point in even drinking it because I still feel tired after I drink it. It's because of this phenomenon going on, right? So you actually only need to do like a week of no caffeine to reset this whole system in your brain. Remember your brain likes, um, it likes homeostasis. So if you cut out caffeine, it's going to reset itself fairly quickly. Um, this can happen in a matter of days. I would say if you're going to do a caffeine reset, at least do seven days to make sure that you do give yourself enough time because everybody is different. Um, the first two to two to four days, I would say the, yeah, two to four days is going to be the worst and you're going to feel the headache. You're going to feel crappy. You're going to feel tired. But after that, as long as you don't have low cortisol levels and you have normal cortisol levels, because low cortisol, like we talked about earlier, also makes you really tired. If you have normal cortisol levels after like four to five days, you should actually feel pretty good and bring, you're bringing that, that baseline back to what it was kind of like pre-coffee era, pre-caffeine consumption era. And you're going to start to feel more you're going to have like a normal level of energy and not feel like you need caffeine. And then the first time you have caffeine again, you're probably going to feel like you're on crack. The first time I did a caffeine reset, I did two weeks and I had an energy drink on day 15 and it had the energy drink had 200 milligrams of caffeine in it. And I mean, I came from a like sports background and, you know, weightlifting in the gym, Olympic weightlifting, bodybuilding type of world. So 200 milligrams didn't seem like a lot to me. I, at one point was taking a pre-workout that had like over 500 milligrams in it back before I knew anything. I know I'm crazy. Now I can barely have like hundred milligrams and I feel like an anxious mess and shaky and want to throw up. But when I did that reset, I did, it was two weeks. And on the 15th day I had that energy drink and I literally felt like I was on drugs. I couldn't even do like deep work because I, I, I needed to do something, but I needed to like organize my house. I needed to move. I couldn't sit at my computer and work like that type of work. Cause I was so wound up. I needed to like move and I was bouncing off the wall. So I could only be productive if I was like moving. So I don't even think I, I just gave up on working on my computer. And I think I went and like did some grocery shopping and like cleaned my house. It was wild. And then, I mean, quickly though, after I started consuming it again, it, you know, quickly got used to it and the body adapts. Remember the body remembers things. So the body adapted pretty quickly. And I tried to do a caffeine reset recently, was not successful. I feel like the longer you have caffeine, the more you become dependent on it. So I'm trying to switch over to matcha, which matcha has less caffeine in it. And it's supposed to be a slower release of caffeine versus coffee. And it has L-theanine in it, which is really good for mental focus. So I'm trying to switch over to matcha instead of coffee. And then eventually, hopefully, I could give it up completely because I don't want to be dependent on it. But it's also such a, like, a social thing. It's just fun to like go to a coffee shop. But we're trying to get into teas more. So I'll let you know how that goes. So that is the gist on caffeine dependency and natural energy. All right. Next question. Also a really good one. Overhydration issues and prevention. Peeing too much, kidney concerns. Okay. So I personally like to give clients a, 
an ultimate goal of 100 ounces of water a day. But I also advocate that they supplement with electrolytes. Drinking over a gallon of water a day and not adding in electrolytes can actually leave you depleting your electrolytes even more, especially if you're a stressed out individual or you sweat and work out regularly. The more stressed you are, the more you're going to run through your electrolytes because your adrenals use your electrolytes. So your adrenals are your stress organs if you're stressed um, and you're pumping out tons of stress hormone all the time because you're living in that sympathetic state of mind. Um, you're actually going to go through your electrolytes and need to replenish them, especially if you sweat, right? Your sweat is salty, so you need to replace that salt and potassium. So sodium is a critical electrolyte along with potassium and chloride that help to deliver water into your body's cells, right? So we need water, but we our body's made up of what, 70% water or something like that? But we need electrolytes to get the water into our cells because if you're drinking water but you don't have enough electrolytes on board and i've spoke to like three people in the last week that all told me they have low potassium levels and low sodium levels which i was like goodness gracious um but if you're not getting in enough electrolytes and only drinking water you can actually still be dehydrated because the water's not getting into the cells, right? It's kind of the same concept of you can eat a really healthy diet, but if you have low stomach acid and a bunch of gut issues, you're not going to be absorbing the food you eat because your body can't break it down. So you can be drinking the water, but if you don't have electrolytes, then you're, the water's not getting into the cell. And this is why people that drink a ton of water pee all the time. If you add adequate electrolytes, you shouldn't have to run to the bathroom every 30 minutes. Now, if you're drinking over a gallon of water, yeah, it's probably more normal to pee a lot, but you're going to be helping your kidneys if you supplement with electrolytes and minerals. So I like to drink around 100 ounces of water, like I said, a day. And then I add my trace elements is the brand mineral drops. I add one to two drops to my water per day and I drink an element packet. That's L-M-N-T. These are electrolyte packets that have a thousand grams of sodium per packet and I love them. Um, I personally don't think people get enough sodium and electrolytes and potassium in their diet anyways. So if you want to try the element packets, um, I do have a code for them. The link is in my bio on all of my socials, my TikTok, my Instagram. And if you purchase a box, you get a free trial box. I think there's eight flavors. So then you can try all of the flavors to see which one you like the best. I personally like the citrus flavor most, and then I like the orange the second best. So you could try those out. Um, if you don't want to get electrolyte packets, I wouldn't recommend using something like um, liquid IV. Liquid IV, the first like two or three ingredients are sugar and there's like 12 grams of sugar per packet. So when you're trying to hydrate yourself, you uh, don't necessarily want to be loading up on sugar. Like think about if you're having multiple packs of those a day, you're basically just drinking cane sugar with electrolytes. So I don't like those because they have a ton of sugar in them. If you don't want an electrolyte packet, you just want to do like your own little mocktail, which I call an adrenal cocktail. I like to mix the salt called Redmond's Real Salt. You can get a giant thing of it on Amazon. 
I also know they do sell it at Whole Foods. Um, and this is basically salt that has not gone through the processing to strip it of its minerals. So all the minerals are still intact. So it's kind of like those mineral drops, but in um, rock form. So they have fine and and like not fine, whatever that would be. Um, so I'll mix that. I usually, I, I don't really measure it out. I just kind of like shake it in there. You want to get a decent amount, like maybe a quarter of a teaspoon and then mix it with coconut water because coconut water is a great source of potassium. And then sometimes I'll, I'll juice an orange or I'll juice a lemon or a lime, um, sometimes a grapefruit, or I'll just pour sugar-free organic orange juice. Not, I didn't mean sugar-free. I meant um, no sugar added. So it's got sugar in it, but it's just the sugar from the orange. I'm not getting zero calorie orange juice because um, that's going to be full of things that like synthetic things that we don't want that are going to make it sugar-free. sugar, sugar -free. Um, I get, and I'll mix the orange juice with the coconut water and the Redmond's Real Salt and drink that once or twice a day um, to get minerals in and electrolytes in, in a food full food form instead of an element packet. Sometimes I do all three of these in a day. Um, but I have had testing and my electrolytes were very low, so I'm not afraid to ramp up my electrolyte usage. I did want to add a little bit of a side note here that if you are peeing all of the time, but you're not drinking over a gallon of water a day, this could also be a pelvic floor issue. It's not always necessarily a lack of electrolytes. I would definitely up your electrolytes no matter who you are. Um, we, we need them. Most people need more than they think. But if your pelvic floor muscles are either too tight or they are weak, um, that could be a reason that you feel like you have to pee all the time or you have incontinence um, or you feel like when you go to the bathroom, you just can't get it all out. Could all be pelvic floor issue related. All right, we are approaching an hour here. We are getting close to an hour. So I'm going to call that the last question for this episode. I do have several more questions to go through. So what I'm going to do is make a part two that will be released next week. So Q&A part two, and I will go over all of the other questions that I got. So if you did submit a question and you didn't get an answer to it today, I will be answering your question in next week. Next week's episode. I hope this was super helpful. Of course, I want you to give me five stars. A lot of you have been listening, but not a lot of you have rated me five stars yet. So if you love me and you want me to be happy because this protocol is kicking my booty, please give me five stars, okay? And of course, if you listen, go ahead and share this on Instagram and tag me so that I can share it so that more people can find out about the podcast and we can continue growing. I love you all. Thank you for being here and I will talk to you next week.